Welcome back to America's leading higher education podcast, The EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. Hosts Dr. Joe Salustio, Elizabeth Liba, and producer Elvin Freites bring you the brightest and most influential minds in higher education today. We explore innovations, ideas, and issues in higher education and beyond, and hopefully have a little fun along the way. Now let's get to it. Are you ready to reimagine your admissions and enrollment marketing? Wherever you are in the admissions CRM selection process, Element 451 is here to help you. Now, why check them out? Well, Element 451 empowers admissions and enrollment teams to work more efficiently as they develop stronger, more personalized engagements with prospective students. Their cloud-based admissions, marketing, and enrollment CRM platform is powerful, yet easy to use. Complicated systems are exactly that, complicated. At its core are two of the most important ingredients for working smarter, automation and analytics. At Element 451, you get enrollment experts, marketers, engineers, data magicians, and thought leaders with decades of experience working in higher ed and ed tech to help you streamline your systems for more effective and greater yield. Visit them at element451.com. That's element451.com. Welcome back, everybody. This is the EdUp Experience, where we make education your business, interviewing the brightest and most influential minds in higher education and beyond. My name is Dr. Joe Salustio. I'm the only one here today. Oh, wait, no, Liz is here today. I can How never forget you. you. I know, I know. <laughs> I just want to act like you weren't here for one day because your presence is so large and sh- it creates just this tremendous shadow that I have to live under. So, you know. Oh, whatever. I, you're my mentor in this, mm-hmm. in this education thing. You, I'm you your podcast have, mentor and you're my LinkedIn mentor now. Well, you have decades of experience in education far and beyond what I could <laughs> ever hope to <laughs> attain at this point in my life. So I'm here to learn from your wise ways. That's fine. Back in the 70s when you were in college, Liz. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, well, we have, a, we, we have a great guest for you guys today, um, specifically and particularly when it relates to uh, the future of work and skills and micro-credentials and that whole deal, which is really interesting right now. Um, given the types of guests we've had lately, we, we had a lot of uh, guests lately, Liz, that have been talking about the future of work, fourth, indu- fourth industrial revolution, mm-hmm. and uh, what that's going to mean. And her name is Kathleen Delasky, and she is founder and CEO of <laughs> Education Design Lab. Kathleen, how are you doing today? Thank you for having me. And I actually did go to college in the 70s. So I feel like I'm, am I in the right place? You are definitely in the right place. Good job, Joe. You and Liz can can catch up on all the old war stories. We will. We absolutely will. I can't wait. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yep. that was when college was really fun. I hear yes. um, it so, was. It was awesome. <laughs> uh, not so much now, although there are pockets like at the University of Florida, of course, Liz. Where absolutely you, go Gators. Where you uh, <laughs> went for your undergraduate that always makes its way into an episode. So sometimes we like to get it out there right at the beginning, University yeah. of Florida. Yeah, uh, but going uh, on out there. Yeah, speaking of uh, of uh, awesome things that are happening, Kathleen, you've got just, I mean so much going on. For someone that has not come across Education Design Lab, what is it? What are you guys doing? 
Well, so we're a, uh, we consider ourselves a, a boundary spanning nonprofit, which works nationally uh, really to work on, we were formed back in 2013, uh, really under the, under the mandate to try to connect the pieces of uh, the learner uh, journey through education, because at that point, particularly, this was sort of in the in the go-go days when ed tech was just uh, really uh, starting to throw a lot of money into uh, into higher education and MOOCs were, remember MOOCs? I mean, they're still around, but this is when they sort of came onto the scene. And there was a lot of discussion about how college was getting disrupted, but you know, we, we really didn't want it to get disrupted in the same way that it did in the early 2000s and in the late 90s when, uh, when there was a big privatization movement, remember, and, um, and, and, and the advertising to learners about, you know, come get a inexpensive uh, uh, degree uh, quickly and online, this was, these were the early online players, uh, uh, led a lot of people to kind of leave traditional higher ed and, and go, for, go with the for-profits. Um, and, you know, the results, um, I actually was at Sally May at the time, you know, the, the education lender, and, you know, we were, we were involved in that in some way, and, and we just didn't like the outcomes that we were seeing and what was happening to learners. So, you know, fast forward 10 years, I was on the board of, um, of, a, of a public university here in Virginia, um, uh, George Mason University, and we, um, you know, we were trying to do lots of innovative things. We were a majority and minority institution, even at that point. Um, but it was really hard to, there, you know, there weren't really any, uh, there, there weren't really any outside players to help us uh, think about how to uh, re, kind of reimagine college and what college could be, starting from let's say mid high school all the way through you know, to lifelong learning and retooling. There really wasn't, there weren't any models, there weren't any people except for the alphabet soup organizations you know, out there that were really you know, the college membership organizations. And so I, I, um, I had started a number of social uh, enterprise uh, nonprofits previously in the education space. And so I, you know, I was really moved in, in, and, and partnered with the president of George Mason University, several of the president of, um, at that time, Nova Community College, which was a very large community college. And we, we just started um, prototyping and testing models for how do you design into the future? So our tagline is now designing education toward the future of work. Um, and you know, I, I could say more about exactly what we do, but that, that's kind of how we got started. And our, you know, at this point now, you know, fast forward eight years, we have worked with about 150 colleges to help them design shorter pathways, micro credentials, basically designing with and for new major, what we call new majority learners. Um, you know, all those people from many different, uh, you know, demographics and situations for whom college was not originally designed. I'm trying to sit with that a, a second to understand uh, what is, well, let me ask you just a, a question off of that. What is the future of education look like when you consider the future of work? Well, so we believe that right now, and, and interestingly, COVID, um, both COVID and the, you know, the sort of the racial reckoning of 2020, we believe have created a, a real opportunity, a, a kind of a unique and urgent opportunity, right, to, to reimagine how how late high school and higher education can be newly designed to serve new majority learners, right? It's unique because colleges, employers, policymakers, even, you know, are coming to the conclusion that that the model is, you know, isn't working, that the, that the old model is not only propagating the economic divide, but it's contributing to it and worsening it. 
And it's urgent because COVID-19 and, and you know, the racial reckoning following the, you know, the murder of George Floyd and, and Breonna Taylor have, have brought the divide into stark relief. Um, and and they're, also, they're also contributing to the large scale abandonment of the current education model. I mean, if you've been following with some of your other uh, guests, um, you know, that for example, 30% of community college black and brown freshmen, you know, chose not to come to community college this past fall, you know, that's because of the barriers we put in place that have made it so hard and that COVID contributed to and, and made worse and, and sort of, you know, straw that breaks the camel's back. And, and I think a lot of people have just been, you know, shocked by that and woken up to it um, at, at the, the outsize impact that, um, that, that COVID, for example, has had on people's ability to, you know, grab the brass ring of, of higher education and, and, and succeed through it. Liz, I know she's uh, talking a lot about what you care about most in higher ed. Absolutely. And I'd love to speak about and hear some insight about some of the programs that you're working on uh, through Education Design Lab, because as I was browsing through the website and looking through some of the initiatives, I was like, wow, there were so many that struck me as areas that we need to focus on as we look forward. I have a Gen Z daughter. Mm -hmm. She's 22. And she did take some time off. Uh, she tried online. She didn't like it. Uh, she was at community college, which I thought she would go to the large state school that I attended. Mm -hmm. and it just wasn't for her. So can you talk to us about why that focus on this new majority learner, how some of your initiatives, such as maybe single mom success or the United Negro College Fund Career Pathways, how are some of these initiatives working to create those pathways? And what do you see as far as those being more widespread as we as a sector come to that reckoning that you were talking about since George Floyd was murdered? Right. Well, first of all, maybe we should, uh, the, the definition of new majority learners for us is really uh, includes, um, you know, all, all the groups for whom college was either not not intended or designed, but sometimes per, you know those those groups were purposely kept out, um, and you know so it, it includes anyone ranging from a person of color, you know most specifically Black, Indigenous, or Latinx, um, English English language learners, um, immigrants, um, undocumented, low income folks living in poverty. Um, people who are, are even just older, right, who are coming to college as, as you know, older than 22 or 24, let's say, um, you know, formerly incarcerated, uh, you know, people with disabilities, um, you know, even veterans, single moms is a great group. So th those are, you know, that gives you, you know, an idea of like who, who we're talking about. And this group, we call them the new majority because these are in the future and, and colleges are waking up to this, right? There's a cliff of enrollment of the 18 to 24 year old, right? There's meaning, meaning they are going to become a, a smaller and smaller proportion of those that colleges are recruiting. And so adult learners and adult learners who, for whom college hasn't been, you know, hasn't been, um, they haven't already done it, uh, is, uh, is, uh, is gonna be the majority. And, and I think people are waking up to that. So that's one reason there's a lot of receptivity to this. So Liz, to, to answer your specific question about the work, um, so we, I would say our work kind of divides into three categories, right? So one is to, um, and, and we use a human-centered design process, right? Where, um, where you know, we're looking at, at 
you know, an, an understand phase of the work where you try to, you know, walk in the shoes of, of either this demographic of learner or um, the um, or a or or where you're trying to design to a new model. So you we we do usually a fairly extensive under what we call an understand phase, and then and then it's really a matter of a of a prototyping process. If you're familiar with design thinking at all, uh, it, it you know it takes you through you know sort of a divergent thinking, and then you you know then you come you know you bring the ideas that have come through the understand phase back to earth. By, by taking people through an ideation process. And then you're into prototyping with learners or often with employers. And you, you, know, you put the learners first, the employers second, and the institutional needs, which have you know, always come first in the past because you know, you're building what you can do, um, take like the third seat as we call it. Uh, and, and so designing that way has been, you know, it's both liberating, it's hard, it's um, often not very, um, um, uh, you know, uh, eco economically um, uh, satisfying, obviously, because you know, you're, you're because there's a lot of needs that have to get uh, dealt with, and so figuring out how to scale um, these kind of models can be really challenging. But um, that that's that's what we're doing. So single moms, let's use that as an example. So we're we we are working uh, with four colleges that you know raise their hand. You know, we we usually will put out, out like an RFP, you know, like a request for proposals to see, you know, okay, who wants to work with their single moms on campus to design new models? Um, and, uh, you know, like in that case, we got, you know, maybe 75 or 80 community, community colleges. And we often will have a funder, a national funder that will, you know, step up and, and, uh, and help us fund that. In this case, it was ECMC Foundation. Um, and, and, they, and then we, we start that process that I just described. And in, in that case, it's over almost two years. Um, and in other cases, it could be, you know, it can be longer or shorter. Um, and so the kinds of things like Ivy Tech, which is a statewide community college in Indiana, is one that has already, you know, even in the first year of that effort, even through COVID, was able to design um, um, with the, you know, the, the single moms totally identified this 24-7 this, um, kind of flexible model where they could, you know, basically a hybrid model where they could come and go um, and, 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 and switch in and out based on their needs. It was so it was not only just that it was hybrid as a cohort, right, but that it was um, kind of permanently hybrid and they could come in and out of the program. And so that got um, designed with the single moms. And interestingly, I just was talking with the president of the, of the college. They're taking it to like everyone else as well. I mean, they have something like, I don't know, like a couple of hundred sections across the state now of this model because you know they learned what 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 single moms wanted actually everybody wanted that you know so that's just one example of a of a you know that was more of a kind of a modality type of solution um, in other places the solution might be like in uh, New Orleans we're working with Delgado Community College their solutions were more around the kind of um, of um, of uh, wraparound supports that mothers needed and like, how, okay, how do you fund that? Where, how do they know about it? Can we do it in cohorts? And so that was, you know, that was more of a support model versus a modality model. Um, so that, that would be one type of program where we work with, demo, you know, across a particular demographic, a type of learner. But the other, the other big thing we're doing is, and, and this relates really to, um, you know, the future of learning, uh, is is different is, is basically unlocking degrees and crafting them into smaller units of learning that can be done faster 
and with more, you know, sort of digital um, precision in the sense that it's skills-based, right? Where you, you're getting like a, just, you know, a credential, a micro-credential in the thing you need to get that job or a shorter pathway. And so we're really helping community colleges pioneer uh, a, a whole a whole new type of sub-degree offering called micro-pathways. Um, and we're working with employers to embrace them and help design them. And we're doing that across the country. So that would be an example of a, of a, of a type of learning um, that is new versus a modality of learning that is new. Fascinating. I know Joe has questions, but I have one more before I have him jump back in because I, I think he speaks a lot to more of the administrative and some of the, mm -hmm. the some of the things for me as a faculty member, sometimes things seem intuitive, like why can't we just do this? But then there's accreditation, there's budget. Like you said, when you get to the, the challenge of putting student first, institution and institutional needs third, it would seem like that would make the most sense. But then obviously the institution still has to uh be profitable, the institution right. still has to function and, and, and they have to make money. So how are you finding that those, um, th some of those needs are balanced? Is it is it that you have to get that outside partnership? Are the schools able to recognize the long-term versus the, the short game as, a, as opposed to the long game? How is all, how has it been navigating some of that as you take on new partnerships and as you kind of uh, develop some of these initiatives with your schools? Yeah, that Liz, you probably have hit on what is the hardest thing, right? And with any kind of innovation is how do you, you know, yeah, you can dream up a pilot and everybody can get excited about it, but how do you create it in a way that it can scale um, and that it can, you know, survive and sustain um, and that you'll get the buy-in, right? Um, I mean, like some of the things you worry about with micro pathways, for example, where we're trying to actually marry the non-credit side of the house, you know, where you might be taking in the community college, you know, a couple of courses uh, in a technical skill building way. Um, and with, we're trying to marry them with the, um, the credit bearing side of the house, because we're, what we're, our, our criteria for micro pathways, I mean, the way we think these really benefit new majority learners is if they can stack to a degree and if you can get college credit and therefore you can use federal financial aid to pay for them, um, you know, because so many of the skill building opportunities out there are, you know, are, you know, pay as you go, um, uh, you know, uh, boot camps or, you know, there's, there's, you know, it's self, you have to self fund it. Um, and they don't, and they don't, and they're hanging out there in, you know, in skill building land, but you don't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily uh, track to anything else or build towards a degree. Um, and, um, you know, where we see the future of education going is, you know, we've sort of named it the, the, um, uh, the learner revolution. And by that, we mean that within a decade, we'll be in a place where learners, you know, will have these skill profiles, right? And they'll be digital uh, in the sense that, you know, you'll have like your, what they call, you know, the learner, the learner records or your, the learner wallet, right? And, and you'll be able to, you know, if, if we do this right, right, you'll be able to group your skills in ways and in clusters that you can pivot, you know, to new, to a new career if there's a coronavirus and your hospitality job is gone, but you take the skills you have and you can see it's visible to you um, how you could pivot to uh, healthcare, uh, because you've got all these, you know, communication and uh, collaboration skills, for example, 
Um, and then it's also it's also visible to you what technical skills you could build to you know increase your salary by twenty thousand dollars or forty thousand dollars, and and how you know different colleges could offer that to you. Um, that's the learner revolution where we feel you're not going to go to one college necessarily. You might have a home college, but it'll be like medical care where you have your, you know, you have your primary care physician, but then you have all the specialists, right? And, and who's going to help you navigate all that? That's the piece that we're trying to help work out. And, and how does it get organized in a way that it's not like the Wild West with lots of people trying to get you to spend your money here or there, you know, for one-off um, skills. Um, and so that's, you know, that's sort of where we're, where we're hoping it goes and where, you know, the, the ecosystem, we call it the digital skills economy, right, needs a lot of help getting there. Element 451. It's the CRM your school needs to be more effective. Do you want to give students a seamless experience with your school from inquiry all the way to depositing? You need to get the time back to focus on students, and that can be done with Element's automation tools, giving your team more time to work with more students. Move away from spreadsheets have real-time insights into where enrollment efforts stand, and empower your staff with an easy-to-use yet powerful platform. Visit element451.com. One of the things that has come up before, Kathleen, and um, it's, a, it's a common topic on Clubhouse. For those of you that, uh, that get on Clubhouse, and a lot of folks that are discussing... Um, you know, the elitism built within traditional higher education. I don't know if you've uh, a Netflix uh, watcher, but the college admission scandal just came out on Netflix uh, that went into uh, deep, dark detail about how that, uh, you know, entire system is built for the wealthy and all this stuff. And one of the things that keeps coming up or the questions is why do people still Mm -hmm. think of colleges as elite? You know, why does a parent, for example, and this happened to me recently, I was, um, I don't remember where I was, but my wife was talking to one of her friends and they're getting ready to send their kid to college. And I said, Hey, why don't you consider a community college or look at alternative mm -hmm. pathways? And, and the mom says, Oh no, no, no. You need to go to a good college. And I said, what's good. You know, what, what, what is that to you? So, and so there's some built in thought processes that we still have systemically uh, with what we value college or how we value institutions over another. Anyway, one of the comments that keeps coming up uh, is that that won't change until it changes with the employers who, who have valued degrees from certain institutions over another or skills from a degree over skills in a different format. What do you think about that? Do you think that, that it, it's going to take something like an education design lab that puts some order, right? The other thing you said that is that the, it, it could be like the wild west with the number of folks offering alternative pathways. Uh, mm -hmm. There's no direction or, or governance around that. But mm -hmm. what do you make of the idea that elitism itself becomes deconstructed from the employer, not from the institutions? Well, you're absolutely right. Um, it, you know, it, it depends. Something like two thirds of, of people, I believe, I, I believe it's two thirds of workers work for small employers, right? So the elitism comes from the large employers and the you know the prestige employers, whether it's you know law firms or you know blue chip companies, um, and and I think you know business schools propagate this, and as do as do you know Ivy League colleges. Um, but if you think about where work is going, and you know the increasing sort of 
individualism of it and you know gigism, if you will, of of work. Um, you could argue that um, it you know everyone has to become their own brand, um, and that yes, you know if Goldman Sachs is going to hire you or IBM, you know they're there were actually, I, you know, th those are companies that are starting to, you know, really like hire consultants to say, how can we look past people with degrees? So actually there, you know, there are a number of initiatives that have just started in the last one to two years where, you know, where big employers are getting together and saying, you know, we have to fight this elitism, right? And, and we're missing out on such good talent if we don't fight this elitism. And so they're actually, you know, I've just, we've just been invited into a work group with the business roundtable, you know, the national group that is, um, they've just started something with 70 of their top employers uh, called the Multiple Pathways Initiative. And multiple pathways mean we're going to hire people who don't have degrees, uh, or you know, at least some. And, and how do we do that? And they're, you know, they're trying to figure it out. So they have to break down, you know, decades old hiring systems, you know, whether they're, whether they're um, infrastructure systems or um, assessment strategies or job description norms, right? They have to break all that down. And that's why I said a decade, you know, it's going to be a decade before um, this is probably, um, you know, uh, I would say, you know, even halfway adopted. Um, I think there'll always be prestige in, in certain colleges and certain degrees. Um, and interestingly, the people who have less you know, uh, you know, wherewithal or, or ability or financial, you know, means to get that expensive degree, you know, those communities are often the ones that value them the most, right? Because it's, it's the signal, right? If you don't have the social network, you need the piece of paper from the hot school. Um, I know, you know, I mean, I come from middle class, right? And I have a daughter who didn't go to college and never plans to go. She went to General Assembly and did a did a um, did a uh, digital a digital marketing certificate and she's you know coming along nicely, but you know we because of the work I do right like I wasn't pushing her to go to college. I think that's such a salient point, and I'm so glad you said that, Kathleen, because I think it is going to be this next generation of student. And I think my daughter kind of felt the same way, where I was like, well, I'm an educator, I've been in higher ed for so long that I see that there are so many different ways that someone can be successful. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have a college degree or if you decide to go get one later. And I think that what you said about the, the person being the brand is something that this generation, because they're digital natives, because they, they know how to YouTube stuff before they can eat. My, my son is six and he's YouTubing <laughs> anything that you can think of. He jumps on YouTube to figure out how to do it. So they're in such a different frame of mind, I think, than we were where uh, Joe's parents told him much what I, my parents told me, which was, you have to go to college. We don't really care what happens just as mm -hmm. long as you go and you have to leave and figure it out when you get there. I think for us as this generation of parent, we're just parenting our children differently. And the employer is going to look at some of that, those, those brilliant minds like your daughter and my daughter and say, well, if that person doesn't necessarily have a degree or maybe they only have an associate degree or they didn't go to an Ivy League school, we know that that person has a lot of talent they can bring to the table. Um, can you talk to us a little bit, and this is something that I'm, I'm just interested in, ter in terms of like some of the practical aspects of, of how um, institutions or organizations that want to partner with you guys, how does that work? Like if someone wants to, uh, a college or university wants to work with you guys, do they have to go through that um, 
submitted submitting the proposal? Do they have to have something in mind? Do you guys come into them and consult and maybe identify areas that they can work with? Or is it does it have to be an initiative that you guys already have in place? Like how does that process work? Yeah, that's a good question. We're always struggling with that because as we, you know, become more popular of a group to work with, we're ourselves trying to figure out how to scale. Mm. Um, because what it, you know, at first when we were just getting started, we, you know, any any college that wanted to bring us in, you know, we could we could say, great, let's 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 we would define a design question, and it had to be something that we felt would serve new majority learners, um, you know, even if the college might serve a lot of elite students, um, that if it was something that was for the field, we would feel okay to, you know, sort of accept that project. So in, in the beginning, you know, when you're working with colleges that have the ability to pay, we were working with, you know, a, a lot of the more elite colleges or some, I mean, not some state colleges, but also, you know, colleges like Georgetown and, and um, UVA, for example, here in this area. Um, but it, but what, what was nice is over time and as funders started to see the value of our work after the first couple of years, we were able to kind of name problem spaces like our first big design challenge with a lot of colleges was around the, the transfer problem, right? The, the issue that, you know, of the, um, you know, 75% of people or 79% of people who start at community college want to get want to attain a bachelor's degree and only something like 18% of them actually do, you know, like that's a, that's a tragic statistic. Um, and so we, we were able to get funded to take on a design challenge to work with colleges that couldn't afford to hire us, you know, I mean, we're nonprofit, but still, you, you know, you've got to cover your costs. Um, and so we were able to get, I mean, in that case, it was the Dell, the Michael and Susan Dell Foundation. Um, and so we did a two-year design challenge with a group of colleges and we asked them to come to the table with um, a community college and the four-year, you know, so that your trans come with your transfer partner and let's design a seamless pathway. And we, you know, and, and we produced four, four pilots out of that work. And we, you know, we chose some of the largest when I mean, we had like a hundred applications for that one. And we chose like the, the ones that were, you know, where we could make the most impact, but that were, you know, diverse around the country. So, you know, everyone who wanted to work with us couldn't get in on that one. Um, but um, that gives you a sense of, of sort of how we work. Now, we're trying to figure out how to scale our own, you know, do we do like a, do we do, we do um, you know, kind of almost like a teaching hospital? Because a lot of people want to have their teams learn the, the, the user-centered design um, skills and, and be able to use them. And, and in some cases, we're starting to do um, what you might call like communities of practice around pieces of the work. Like for example, with community colleges, like they, community colleges need to, if they're gonna stay in this game uh, where there's a lot of competition for short-term pathways and they should be, they should be at the center of that game. They, there's a lot that they have to do um, to be you know, competitive you know, against a lot of the private, you know, the private offerings. Uh, and so they're, you know, a lot of them are wanting to step up to this and, you know, they need, they need help with their business models. They need help, you know, with, um, you know, designing the pathways, how to market to adult learners, um, which they haven't, you know, hadn't done so much of in the past, how to work with the data and with employers to specifically, you know, create the best pathways that lead to jobs. 
you know, these are some of the, how do, how do you advise in this new learner revolution when you know that the learner is only gonna be getting part of their learning from you and some of it from other places? What does that look like? Um, you know, these kinds of learning communities where, you know, we're trying to put into place around topics and then be able to invite more people in. That's just one idea for how we can scale, you know, scale the design work, if you will. I see that you have a specific initiative around helping HBCUs. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that's um that's one of our longer ones. We we um we came in um as part of the um what was called the Career Pathways Initiative that the Lilly Foundation funded UNCF to do, um, uh, and we we were brought in to really just help accelerate um, innovation practice across um, many pilots that were specifically working on how do you take you know a traditional historically black college university and help. Um, help the, the faculty and the administration um, embed and imbue more, uh, uh, I don't want to call it workforce training because it's not really training, but to think more about their learners being job ready, career ready when they come out of, of, you know, of their four years. Um, and so um, that's, been, that's been really interesting work across three years so far. Um, and now, now we're working with them and another really cool project uh, it's called um, uh, liberal arts uh, innovation centers where um, an, another funder is um, is funding four different HBCUs uh, to have a um, uh, like like an innovation center around um, how do you take how, how do you help the liberal arts become more um, uh, you know sort of em employment focused and job ready focused so it's a similar a similar aim but you know that's been that's been a lot of the, you know, a lot of the innovation at traditional four years, particularly ones that are, you know, that are super traditional, um, has been around, you know, how do you, how do you thread the needle of, you know, maintaining your rich history of liberal arts and helping your students walk out and be able to get, you know, the job in, you know, uh, in doing, you know, whether it's, you know, communications or social media or, you know, what do they do with their history degree or their English degree? I mean, that's obviously a perennial discussion, but with, um, with um, you know, I would say some of the HBCUs, well, at many colleges we work with, you know, it's really about how do you help bridge the faculty who might be um, not necessarily resistant, but, you know, not, not really sure, uh, needing support to, to do that work. Well, Liz, you want to take us home? Yeah, absolutely. This is really fascinating. And I think as a faculty member, there, there is a lot to be said about that. There, there's so much innovation. There's so many things that we can do as a sector, but it's, it, it is the support. It is the resources. There is so much to be said about just bringing a lot of that together so that schools can continue to innovate. And, and a lot of schools, COVID and, and everything that's happened over the past year has really um, been a wake-up call you know, for us mm -hmm. to really think about what we can do better to serve our students. So we appreciate you giving us so many insights from your experience and, and from the great work that you're doing with your organization. And we'd love to, and, and, and we do, do appreciate your time. And we'd love to um, just ask you a last couple of questions just to be cognizant and um, sensitive to your time, which would be, is there anything that we miss, anything that you want to just mention that Education Design Lab is doing, anything that you just want to make sure you leave our listeners with? And the other question would be, what do you see as the future for higher education? 
Wow. Well, I, I feel like um, the, let's see, the first, the first, the first question I would just want to say, you know, it's interesting you mentioned COVID and we have like hardly talked about COVID on this call at all, which is maybe that means we're coming out of COVID because I feel like, I mean, I know it's still very much on the mind and, and has been a, um, let's call it an accelerant, right? For a lot of the, you know, the hacking that we've all had to do, right? To figure out how to, how to um, keep, keep the doors open and the lights on for, um, for learning. And, and I, you know, I just want to applaud everybody that we work with across the country and everyone we don't work with at, at the resilience. Um, it's just been so impressive to see and to watch. Um, and, and I think it really is going to strengthen higher education um, and strengthen traditional higher education because you know we've all been forced to, to innovate quicker than we meant to. <laughs> um, and so I just wanna applaud everyone's efforts. Um, and then I think the thing that I would leave folks with um, as you know, it's, it's partly something I wanted to mention that we're just starting at the lab, but it's also answer to this last question, what's the future? I think one of the pieces of the future is to help um, new majority learners in particular, but anyone really um, get credit for what they know and what they can do. Um, and that often might mean not sitting through a, you know, a degree length credit or degree, degree length you know, study of, of pathway or even a course at all. It might mean a, um, you know, a demonstration project or a, um, a, uh, a demonstration of skills you built on the job. You know, if you're an Uber driver and you have a fantastic performance score you know, for your driving, you know, that 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 the, that the uh, customers have given you, you know, that shows you have customer service skills. And we're starting to work on a project in the lab called X credit, which stands for experience credit. And it's really a skunk works with several partners to try to look at how do we get employers to give you credit, uh, not college credit, right, but employment um, employment validation, or 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 um, they'll take a look at you as a candidate, right, without a degree, because you can do this, or you can do that, or you have a demonstration from your military service, or your Uber driving record, or or even your tip average from when you were a waitress and you just you know you you knocked it out of the park every night. You know why can't that help you get hired into your next role? And, and the answer is employers are telling us it can, we just have to figure out what those are. Uh, what are those like universal validators or non-universal validators beyond the piece of paper that is your degree. So that's really disrupting higher education. Um, and I'm not saying it's going to replace higher education, but it, it, is, it is in our future uh, to, you know, uh, to be able to you know, enjoy the dignity of our experience as credit to get hired and to get and to get ahead, you know, economically. Yeah, that's really well said. And you're seeing things like grow with Google and all mm -hmm. these other things come up now to help, you know, really disrupt that education is ripe for disruption. Higher ed is ripe for disruption because it's been so traditional for so long. Coronavirus has certainly moved higher ed in a um, better direction toward innovation and towards really catering to the changing marketplace, if mm -hmm. you will but more work needs to be done. And uh, it sounds like you are doing that at Education Design Lab. Her name is Kathleen Delasky and she's founder and CEO of Education Design Lab. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Kathleen. 
Well, thank you both. It was a lot of fun and I love what you're doing. Hey, everybody. We hope you enjoyed that episode of the Edup Experience. To learn more about the Edup Experience, please visit our website at www.edupexperience.com and subscribe to our email list. Please share this podcast, head over to Apple, and please give us a rating and review. We appreciate your feedback. And of course, subscribe to the Edup Experience so you're notified when our episodes drop. Here at the Edup Experience, our goal is to make education your business. Thanks for listening.